I've always wanted to do a podcast episode on postnatal depression, but I felt I didn't know enough, especially being a man. And one of the reasons I wanted to do a, um, a podcast episode on this subject matter, because I've always thought to myself, is it just a biomedical issue why women experience postnatal depression? And when I say a biomedical issue, is it to do with the type of pregnancy she has, or is there some chemical imbalance in the brain that leads to that? Or is it down to socioeconomic disadvantages, whether it's the location she lives in, the type of job she has, how much money she makes, her ethnic background, or even her access to health facilities in her area? Now, one thing I know for sure is one in seven women experience postnatal depression at some point in their life. And I was fortunate enough to get a doctor, she's actually a clinical psychologist, to join me on this subject matter. And she's someone that's worked with women who's experiencing postnatal and postpartum depression for over 30 years. So her knowledge and experience are definitely worth listening to. So I really, really hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Hi, my name is Fabian Morgan and welcome to Everyday Dialogue, the podcast where we discuss everyday experiences that shape our lives as human beings, whether it's celebrating our successes or painfully navigating our way through failure and trauma. These experiences determine how we show up in the world for ourselves and others. On this platform, I will be sharing my personal experiences as well as inviting a variety of guests who will share their most authentic or vulnerable stories where we lift up those who dare to show up fully in life. With a new episode every Saturday, we will be tackling a broad range of subjects that deals with what it means to be us, what it means to be human. So pull up a seat and join me at my table. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Everyday Dialogue. Today I have an extra special guest. Dr. Shosh has joined me today. Um, so Dr. Shosh is a clinical psychologist that specialises in maternal mental health, specifically women who experience postnatal depression uh, or postpartum, depending on how you want to say it. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Shosh. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, it's been great. And um, I had a look at your website and looked through some of your work. And some of the work that you've done has been, have been amazing. And even the testimonials for some of past um, clients that you've worked with, I thought it was actually um, really fascinating. Um, some of my um, audience might not know who you are. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you wanted to become a clinical psychologist in the first place and specifically working with um, maternal mental health? What made you want to go down that road? It's interesting. I was a special education teacher. I was teaching at the community colleges in the San Francisco Bay Area, very much looking forward to our first child. This is back in the early 1980s. And then I had a baby and my mental health plummeted. It dropped. I had never been depressed or this anxious before in my life. I did not know what was happening to me, wow. but I really lost myself. So it was definitely due to personal experience. I never thought I'd be a psychologist doing doing this work. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I experienced suicidal uh, depressions after the births of both of our children and feeling grateful every day that I'm still supposed to be here and mm -hmm. that I survived. I should say we survived um, all of this. Uh, although no one else was in danger uh, physically, emotionally, it really took a toll on all the relationships within the family. So I started when I found out that this was actually uh, something that happened to one in seven moms. Mm. Uh, I realized that the United States was far, far behind many other countries, very much including the UK. And uh, I researched and I researched and I started the first postpartum depression support group in the United States, right in my living room uh, wow. in Northern California. Because again, I felt... I, there, was, there was a fire in the belly. That's the only way I can say. When I when I realized that that my family and I hadn't needed to suffer the way we did, I became both relieved 
that there was a name for this, but also furious. It's like, why had we, you know, it, it, it was horrible. And there were millions of, of women and families going through this. So uh, I became a pioneer of maternal mental health in the United States. And my, uh, my degrees that I that I uh, acquired afterwards, another master's degree and a PhD. And yes, eventually I got licensed as a clinical psychologist. Uh, and um, I started a couple of organizations, including our international uh, organization. I was president of Postpartum Support International. Um, and uh, this is what I love to do, what I'm doing right now. So I'm, I'm so happy you invited me. Uh, educating. I just came back from uh, Washington, D.C., where I was on a panel uh, talking about the uh, disparity uh, for women of color and how that can affect their care, both prenatally and postnatally. Uh, so educating, speaking to the public, training mental health professionals, medical professionals, writing a few books in there uh, uh, somewhere. Uh, it's all just, it's, it's gathered momentum throughout the years and i'm just as passionate today uh and hopefully you can tell yeah I have a no hard time sitting still when i talk about <laughs> this stuff uh, just as passionate today as i was when i first uh began back in the 1980s no i can definitely see your passion and i think what kind of helps your work is the fact that you've had personal experience because you know sometimes someone could work in a rehabilitation center and might help people overcome addictions, but they might have never experienced addiction themselves. I think you become a better clinician when you've had firsthand experience with that, because you're not just talking from a biomedical standpoint, but also from a personal standpoint as well. Um, regarding your studies and work that you've done in this field, what have you found to be the cause root of um, postnatal depression? Is there something specific that happens to women that causes them to have that? The primary cause, etiology, we call it in the field, mm -hmm. the primary etiology, uh, it, it tends to be or is biochemical, uh, hormonal. Now, mm. can sociological factors play a part? You bet. Lots of stress uh, can play a part. Lack of sleep, sleep deprivation can absolutely bring this on. It can lower our serotonin level and, and cause us to get depressed. Um, could a thyroid imbalance look like a postnatal depression? Yes. Can there be mm. other biochemical factors happening? You bet. There, so there are there are many different factors that can feed in. And that's why, you know, when a, when a mommy contacts me, no matter where she lives in the world, because I, I work with, my clients are literally in, I've worked with, I don't know, women in, the last time I, I counted, it was over 30 countries. Wow. Um, uh, there's always help now because you have internet. When I first, you know, in the 1980s, there was no, there weren't computers, <laughs> not for the public anyway. So you couldn't Google this stuff. But no matter who she is or where she lives or what community or culture uh, she comes from, there are things in common that we all experience but there are also other specific factors, particular factors that might add to what's going on in her case. So there's no, I call it a cookie cutter approach. There's no, you know, with postpartum depression, here's what you always do. This, mm. this, this. No, every person is an individual with varying factors that are feeding in uh, to that depression or related uh, psychiatric disorder. Wow. And are there any barriers that you think that could, that prevent some women from getting the help that they need at the moment? Um, in terms of, I know your barrier back in the 80s was lack of research and not much being known about this. That's why you obviously went into doing that work. But is there any barriers in this present day that you think women are still facing in order getting help to deal with that? Yes. And as I mentioned a minute ago, regarding culture and socioeconomics and yes. where they live and where, I mean, the barriers can differ. Mm -hmm. I mean, for many women, the access to care is definitely a barrier. Mm -hmm. For others, there aren't trained uh, specialists. And I really want to 
uh, emphasize, this is a specialty. It's not good enough just to go to a practitioner who works with postpartum moms. By the way, postpartum, postnatal, we use them interchangeably. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to confuse anybody who's listening. Um, uh, so barriers could be many. Could be transportation. It could be. It could be the worry of the stigma. You know, they, mm. they a, a mommy could be very aware that there are excellent practitioners around her, uh, or on the internet. Like I work, I work virtually. Um, but they're afraid of being shamed by their families. They're afraid of what other people will think about them. Uh, they're afraid uh, that somebody will take their baby away. I mean, you know, there, there's a tremendous amount of fear about how they will be regarded and what the consequences will be. So those are some of the, of the major barriers. Also, uh, many times practitioners aren't screening so the moms don't know what it is that they're experiencing or they might it might be just dismissed as normal baby blues mm. right most new mothers experience some mild ups and downs they don't feel good but it's not a it's not a, a clinical issue it's that's considered part of normal development okay. and normal normal adjustment but the, but again baby blues maternal blues should be gone by two weeks, and the symptoms should be mild. So often, even after months of feeling that way, even if it's mild, women are told, no, it's just the baby blues aren't going away. Mm. Not true. If the baby blues aren't gone by two, I'd say at the outset, three weeks postpartum, it's now called postpartum depression, and there should be some intervention, mm -hmm. not necessarily medication, but, but she should receive a full assessment. And you see, if, if practitioners and doulas and midwives and, you know, doctors and prenatal and postnatal yoga teachers, I mean, you know, if, if the information isn't given on a standard, regular basis, which it should be, uh, often moms don't know that they actually need help. They, don't, they know they don't feel like themselves. Mm -hmm. But they're, they, they don't know that this is something that uh, really they, they, should, they should get some professional assistance with. Wow. Yeah. And it's interesting because after we initially spoke and we agreed that we were going to do a, um, a podcast recording on this topic, I've had conversations with some of my female friends because I've, mm -hmm. I, and I've asked them because I've never even considered asking any of my friends, have you experienced post um, postpartum depression? And when I have spoken to them, a lot of them are like, yeah, they have. And I'm like, it, that just made me realize it's not really a general spoken conversations that a lot of women have. I think there seem to be a lot of shame around it for a lot of women that they don't talk about it because I'm quite surprised that until I had asked some of them, I had no idea that they even experienced that. So that's actually yeah. quite interesting to know that there's still this kind of t taboo stigma around the discussion about the topic in general i know you were saying earlier as well that a lot of ethnic minorities um have an extra layer of disparity when it comes to healthcare and access to healthcare i've always known that as someone who's um from an ethnic minority background myself what do you think is the root cause of specifically especially like black women getting poor quality of healthcare and lack of access to certain level of resources. What do you think is the root cause of that? There can be many. Yes. Uh, again, what I have heard from my black clients and those who have joined my support groups when I used to run them, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have heard, uh, I mean, they're, they're brave sometimes just showing up because they're very worried. Often they've been told um, that, you know, here's what I remember in general. Our people don't get depressed. We're a strong people. Pull mm. yourself up. So again, the, the worry about how they are going to be uh, seen um, mm. and uh, other ethnic groups, for instance, the uh, Asian in particular, but again, I, I don't have to necessarily pick out of this. Course. this yeah, this, of course. But, but, uh, but often uh, Asian uh, communities, cultures tend to be very, we'll call it shame-based. So um, uh, their relatives, the women who are coming to my group and the women I'm, I'm helping individually, 
their relatives are horrified that they're airing their dirty laundry, so to speak. You know, that they ha- you know, what will our relatives think? You know, this is a weakness. You know, shut up and don't tell anybody. Mm. So, again, the stigma is huge. Also, if there's a lack of, of money in a particular area, no matter what the, uh, no matter what the race or ethnicity, I mean, that can, you know, lack of insurance. Or, or many people lost their insurance during COVID. Yeah. Um, that has definitely been uh, a barrier. I know in the U.S. there's legislation that was passed. We're hoping that will actually translate into making the differences that we're hoping it makes. Uh, you know, a number of different bills were, were, were passed. So it couldn't be, can be a, a, a lack of access to care, a lack, as I mentioned, a, a specialists, in the geographic area, uh, it can be the the worry about uh, the doctor practitioner not really understanding them. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, what has worked very well. Just interrupt me if you want me to stop. No, 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 no. Oh no! Oh no, no, no. Keep going. This is <laughs> okay. this is actually really fascinating. Learning this. Okay. Okay. Then I shall. Um, uh, peer support. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, women who are trained in the community in which uh, uh, the moms in need, right, are, are are suffering. When there's community support, peer support, going into the homes, home visits can make a huge difference, and and, mm. and already uh, is making a huge difference uh, because now. The moms are recognizing these people are from our, our community, you know, my community. I relate to them. I feel safe. I don't feel threatened. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm understood. So that has been used more and more and increasingly. So we're going in the right direction. There's still so much to be done. I, I hope I've answered your question. Or no, you have, you have. Because, I, I mean, I know, I know personally that there is definitely a systematic racist element to why a lot of ethnic minorities are disadvantaged when it comes to healthcare. But I wanted to know more um, yeah. the socioeconomic disadvantages and the other disadvantages, which you've clearly explained. And it's so right. true as well. A lot of the reasons why as well, we do tend to get um, like poor treatment or lack of access as well is due to our own cultural experiences as well. Because like being black, I know in the black community, a lot of the times we don't trust healthcare professionals and that's due to historical mistreatment by healthcare professionals. Um, Even when you were mentioning um, a lot of black women saying that they're, they're strong that's also true um, in terms of that's their perception. And also a lot of healthcare professionals, I find, think that way as well. So then when a woman comes in saying that they are suffering or they are experiencing a specific thing, they're not taking that seriously. Serena Williams that's is a true. perfect example. When she was exactly. pregnant, she nearly died. She was dismissed. She was that's dismissed right. by the, do- by right. the doctor. Look how strong she is physically. Right. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yes, no, I it's true. It's a it's a very very good example. Yes. Yeah. So there's yeah, like so often they're feeling invisible. Yes. Uh, exactly. It's like they're they're not seen even when they do step up. I want to give another a real life example, mm-hmm. uh, not with a specifically black community, but with a Native American, which is probably more more U.S. oriented. But I was yes. asked. I travel all over the U.S. helping groups get set up. And a, a number of years ago, uh, I was asked by a community way north, north in California, Eureka, California is way north. Um, to, and it was a particularly Native American um, a, a community. They had a beautiful group set up. I mean, a, a, the room was great. It was in a hospital. What a trained uh, leader of the group. They even had refreshments. I mean, and the marketing was perfect. Everything, you know, looked Great, but they said, Dr. Shosh, nobody's coming. Every week we are ready to uh, to offer the postpartum depression support group. Nobody's coming. So mm. I went up there and just started chatting very informally 
with some new families. And I said, where, where, do, where do you go? Where, where do the new moms hang out? Mm. Where, where, where are they? And I found out that there was a park, really nice park, not too far actually from the hospital, where women would go every day with their infants um, and they would par- just park in the parking lot of this park. And whoever had the biggest car, they would pile into the car and start encouraging each other, allowing each other to vent their problems, giving each other support. Two or more people is a support group. That, they yes. were having a support group every day just in a car. So I was honored by being invited into that car uh, that, you know, the following day. It was a big van, I remember. And I said, so why don't you show up to the hospital? And they said, we were raised not to trust doctors. And we won't go to a hospital unless we absolutely have to. Mm. So I said, what if they moved the group to the community center where you go all the time for other kinds of classes, lactation, you know, et cetera. And one of you, one who has gotten through most of the postpartum stuff and and recovered, what if you were trained as a co-leader? Would you show up then? And they all said, yes, the hospital did it. It was a well-attended group, but you've got to know your community. Yes. That's another issue. Yes. So when you're asking about barriers, this was a very long-winded way of, of giving an example of not knowing who you're serving, because sometimes the access is there, the, the practitioners are there, but they don't know what the community will will be responsive to it's 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 that whole concept of person-centered care right you need to tailor the um the care and the support that you're offering to the group that you're offering it to you're right because i work in healthcare as well so at the moment i'm a registered manager for a massive um um, residential care home so I look after 21 people with acquired brain injury learning disabilities and physical disabilities and you have to know how to deal with different individual clients some clients might be more forthcoming with one in support some not some you have to kind of prompt a bit more sit down with some clients so you're right you have to know the community that you're dealing with and if you're working with a community that's not so forthcoming to get in support you have to try a different approach one one um one shirt don't fit all you need a different approach for different people yeah exactly and getting back just quickly to to my uh my black clients and those who who joined in the, mm-hmm. in the groups i'd say and i this is anecdotal this was not my i didn't i personally did not do research on my groups or follow it in this way yeah i was still very depressed myself frankly mm-hmm. when i started running these groups um almost all of them wanted to change their doctor they didn't like their doctor I thought that was fascinating and it really stuck with me and it's true today. It wasn't just true in the, in the 1980s. Mm. So they, again, they were not connecting to, to, to to make our point, uh, to add to our point. They were not connecting with their practitioner. Why would they open up and and tell them anything? Mm. And it's true. Yeah, it's true. Because I find as well, I've had like, depending on where I live, I've changed doctors. And I find that if I walk into a room and I meet my doctor for the first time and my doctor's black, I actually feel a bit better. But that's my initial response. Once I get to know my doctor, what it doesn't matter their ethnicity, I'm like, okay, they're good. But it just goes back to that whole thing of because we're so... Um, used to that systematic disadvantage. It's almost like you right. want someone from your own background because you feel that they're going to have a better understanding of who you are. Yes. Yeah, but it's good to see that things definitely are changing. So what are some of the signs that women should be looking at to to see, to identify that it that is what it is? Because how do they know that they've, they're experiencing postnatal depression? What are some of the early signs? Oh, wonderful question. And I should mention that postpartum depression, postnatal depression is one of six perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. It's the one we focus on the most because it's the most common. And I will say, uh, uh, this is has always fascinated me. But postpartum depression is the most common complication of childbearing. Wow. And I'll say postpartum depression and anxiety. 
kind of slash anxiety. Some women experience more anxiety than they would, uh, you know, f feel that they're de depressed. Um, uh, but it's extremely common. What you're looking for and what close family members, certainly spouses, can be watching is if her self-esteem drops, if she's putting herself down, if she's saying things like anybody can do this better than I can. You know, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, in other words, if she's expressing in her own words uh, that she's inadequate as a, as a mom, pay attention. Mm. You, you don't want, you're right. Or, or if she says my baby is rejecting my milk, you know, that, that's not a normal statement for for a new mother to make uh and you know how babies when they're nursing they might pull off the nipple and look around the room that's totally normal but if yeah. a mom is taking a normal behavior of the infant and personalizing it and saying it must be something bad about me mm -hmm. not normal also if she can't sleep even at nighttime even when the baby's sleeping. Mm -hmm. In other words, when, when no one needs her at nighttime, but her body will not allow her to sleep, if her mind is racing with anxious thoughts uh, or her body is just too agitated, that's actually serious. And again, we don't want to be alarmist about it, but that's insomnia. Insomnia needs to be treated immediately. Mm. Um, that's nothing to just pass over. I don't care if she's able to sleep during the day, by the way, it's nighttime sleep. That's the restorative brain sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's always, I stress if she's unable to sleep at night when her baby is sleeping, watch for that. Not normal. And she needs some help. Um, if she is very short tempered now, can that be due to sleep deprivation? Uh, of course, uh, uh, and other things. Uh, but if she's if she's just snapping, uh, you know, the rope is short. We call okay. Sometimes postpartum depression uh, manifests more as short temperedness or anger. Sometimes it looks like rage. Frankly, I mean, just she just blows up for no reason, and she knows it's. It, the situation doesn't call for that kind of intense reaction, but it feels like she can't help it. She could be depressed um, uh, if her appetite disappears, mm. or, or right? Because usually, especially if she's nursing, but even not, the appetite can increase, right? Yeah. If her appetite decreases, uh, not 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 normal. Now that's very different from is she allowing time set aside for her to eat. I want to know if she's even hungry. Uh, you see, so the screening questions that I recommend uh, have to do with, you know, how's your appetite? Mm -hmm. One of the questions I want to ask you actually just came to my mind as you were speaking. Has there been, because I recently done a podcast on social media and image and perception and stuff like that. And I want to ask you, has there been a lot of women who has experienced postpartum depression because they're depressed about the fact that their body has actually changed? You know, like some women might have been really slim their entire life. And as soon as they have their baby, obviously they've gained weight and they can't get rid of the weight or it's more of a struggle. Has that led to postpartum depression? Because recently was in the um, it was on the news and in social media, there's a celebrity um, called Jackie O. She's um, she's had three kids and she died doing a mommy makeover surgery. Mm. And I just want to know because there's this pressure for women to look a certain way. Is that also one of the leading causes to women going into postnatal depression? Sure. Again, I, that's why it's very important that we individualize treatment mm. uh, because it certainly can. You're talking about body image, which is a very, it's a, it's a big, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a broad factor. I yeah. mean, it, it can come into it. It can happen during pregnancy as well. Uh, you know, sometimes you see moms wearing those t-shirts with an arrow. I'm not fat. I'm pregnant. Yes. Those bother me. Because I know why. Why would she even do that or feel a need to tell the public, right, uh, about that? That always brings up a, a flag in my mind when I when mm. I see somebody with those shirts. So yes, uh, certainly. Uh, if if I'm working with a mom, as a matter of fact, one of my initial intake questions on the form that they're sent before I even work with them the first time is, is there any history of, um, 
of food problems, you know, of, of bulimia, of anorexia. Eating disorders. Of, you know, any kind of disorder of mental health. Eating disorders, ought, a, a past history. Even if she's worked on it, she thinks she's finished with it. Those kinds of things tend, tend to come back and haunt us. Mm. Even though we've done the work we think we need to, to do. So I, I always ask about that. And uh, so if there's been a history, we keep a very close eye on, on the, the body image uh, issue. Yes. Wow. And um, I know that there's like loads of shows on TV about women that go like crazy and um, kill their kids and kill their baby because they've gone through like serious severe mental health problems and that that's that's kind of been a thing as well over the years so would that be connected to post postnatal postpartum depression women that get to the point where they snap and they kill their kids is that connected or is that a completely different thing Usually that has nothing to do with postpartum depression, but it certainly could be postpartum psychosis, which is Uh, one of the six perinatal mood and anxiety disorders that I mentioned. mm -hmm. Postpartum psychosis happens about one to two per thousand uh, women. Uh, When it happens, it's always considered a medical emergency. Uh, But suicide is a much greater risk when you have depression. You know, thinking, for instance, what I was thinking is my family would be better off without me. I did everything I could to protect my my child. But I thought, you know, I, nobody would miss me. I'm just a horrible mother that, that is inadequate and should never have had a kid. So I'll just off myself. With psychosis, she is not in our reality. Um, she might look at her baby and see the devil or a water rat or, mm. or a doll or, you know, she's, I mean, she's hallucinating. So that's where most of the danger arises when we talk about uh, infanticide or neonaticide, you know, uh, newborns. Very, very sad. I work as an expert witness as well for some of these very, very sad uh, cases. And uh, too frequently I have heard OBs um, uh, as a matter of fact, in the last two cases, they were both obese. Uh, they said, well, she sounded normal in my office. You know, so there are certainly mm-hmm. things to, to look for, but it's typically not, I'm not saying it couldn't be, but it is typically not postpartum depression. Typically, a woman who is depressed, again, is trying her very best to take care of her, her baby. She just offs herself. Okay. Thank yeah. you for clarifying With psychosis, that. I, just to add something, what, mm-hmm. when the moms uh, uh, kill their, the babies, it's, it's going to sound bizarre, but remember, they're not in our reality. They actually often do it in order to protect the baby. Sometimes they think they're the devil, and they want to send their baby to heaven before they can. It, it, you know, wow. again, it sounds crazy because it is. Mm -hmm. we call it you know but psychosis is a a scary thing and again it's very rare uh, but those are usually when you see in the news some very very sad incident like that it's it's typically uh, a psychosis not depression okay wow thank you so i know i notice on your website you've got um different membership support that you offer women um, yes. Could you just tell me a bit more about that and what the different type of support that you offer women entail? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, other than one-on-ones, uh, there are memberships that are quite popular. When And you get, along with uh, it, well, even the basic membership, you get a whole uh, training. You know, you, you get a basic training, what to look for, what to do about it not just theory. I'm very practical. Remember, I'm a survivor. So I put in there all the stuff that I wish somebody had told me. That's how I've trained over the last, what, 37 years. So that's a basic membership. Uh, And then with the the more advanced memberships, uh, you get more and more uh, trainings. There is more of an advanced training and many professionals uh, opt for for that one as well. So they, they, they know how to uh, help their clients even more. Uh, there, there are parent quizzes. There's a, there's a, a book 
a free book you can get on on 100% recovery stories is I noticed that, you know, when I went, when finally there was an internet way back and I started looking, there were only sad stories and, and, mm. and, and scary stories of I never recovered and I've been like this, for, you know, and I'm going, oh my goodness, with proper help, these are 100% treatable. By the way, including psychosis, all of them, all six of them are 100% treatable with proper help, not just help, but with the right help, mm. with a specialist. I'm going, where are those stories? You know, who? Go but again, people usually don't post I'm all better. I feel great. You know, what you see are the, you know, it's like you see the plane crash. It's not all the millions that have landed, you know, yeah. uh, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, people are posting the scary stuff. So I put that on my website. So there, there are a bunch of different, uh, again, there are th three different ways you can uh, be a member and have access to me. Uh, uh, one of the memberships, actually, I do talk with you. Um, uh, it's, it's probably the, the, the least expensive of all to get to get me on the phone with you and and because mm. i'm just super busy i'm not being stingy i'm actually quite generous with my time yeah. but but uh there are there are ways to interact i do a lot of mentoring as well uh, other professionals they will join uh, one of the memberships so that they get uh, a weekly they get their questions answered and etc so i'm talking too much here but just no, yeah doctorshosh.com no, no, no. That's yeah, good. That's good. This is this is where you're supposed to talk. This is what it's about. I want you to share your stuff with with people because, as I said, I don't think there's enough conversation about postnatal depression for women. There isn't. As I said, even me as a not. man, I never really thought about it or think about it. And I need to actually ask my mom if she's ever experienced that. I've never even considered asking her. And if she mm -hmm. did, she never mentioned it. So as I said before, there's a lot of shame. And one of the things I try to do on my podcast is to destigmatize taboo subjects or to bring more awareness to things that people are scared to talk about. So Thank I'm you. really, really excited to talk about this with you for sure. Yeah. And should I mention postnatal depression for men? It can happen for dads. Oh, can it? Absolutely. Okay, tell me about that. Yeah. Okay, I'll do it as quickly as I can. <laughs> yes, dads can, and adoptive parents can also experience it. But dads, wow. uh, and and I'm not saying partners because the research is actually on the fathers. Uh, anecdotally, I can say that all partners can experience, but they're they're not experiencing postnatal depression due to reproductive hormones. Obviously, of uh, that would be more maternal, but especially if uh, and it's one in ten uh, by the way about about 10 percent of dads get depressed now if she is depressed and he isn't getting proper help himself in dealing with her depression that rate shoots up between 24 and 50 percent mm. so the biggest risk factor for him is if she's depressed um also if he has had past history uh, of depression anxiety bipolar disorder whatever he is automatically at high risk because he's going through the most stressful or one of the most stressful events of his life too, right? Mm -hmm. He, you know, she's not the only one that just became a parent. He became a new parent also. And often dads in general are dismissed. Speaking of dismissing, you know, we, we, we treat dads as just a support for her. Why? How unfair is that? No, he's not babysitting. He's parenting his kid. And, did, and you know, again, he, he needs his support as well. Mm. Um, uh, also, some high-risk factors. If he is taking care financially of the family, it isn't always the case. But, you know, he might now, uh, uh, you know, he feels that kind of stress. Uh, on uh, uh, the family. He might be worried. I hear this from, from the men all the time. They're really concerned about the relationship. They they feel that they've lost their lover forever, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and the baby's take. You know, so again, no cookie-cutter approach in helping a depressed dad uh, either. But I just want to say it is definitely a thing. And uh, 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 not too infrequently, I hear from moms saying, I'm really doing fine, Dr. Shosh, but I am worried about my boyfriend or my husband is sinking. You know, can this happen to him too? Mm. Absolutely, yes. Often it doesn't look the same. Like with women, it might look more like um, 
you know, they might be teary a lot. They might be anxious. They might be angry. They might, you know, they're, they're flitting all over, you know, their moods are up and down and all over the place, like a roller coaster for men. It's often a lag response. I mean, it, it, they don't show it immediately, but it mm. builds up. They're trying to hold it all together. Right. As men do. Um, <laughs> as men do. And especially if she's been ill. Yeah. Once she starts to recover, he goes, ah, you know, and everything just, it seems to fall apart with yeah. him. But even when she's not depressed, he'll try to keep it together, keep it together, keep it. Is he looking for help? Typically not. Um, and um, uh, it can look like um, often um, uh, workaholic. You know, he'll suddenly just stay away from the home a lot. His hours magically just increase at work. He's trying to avoid uh, being at home. Um, uh, or he's playing a lot of video games and kind of disappears mm. a lot. Um, uh, and anger. Uh, he's, he's grumpy a lot of the time. Those are the kinds of things that you, you want to look for, for in the dads. Oh, wow. See, I've learned something new today. I didn't know that men um, experienced that as well. Um, so I know you've got four books published and, um, one of your books is called Beyond the Blues. And obviously that focuses on, um, postpartum, postnatal depression. Um, so tell me a bit about your book. So what is the, what was, what is the end goal of your book? If a woman now who has postnatal depression read your book, what do you want her to learn from reading your book? Right. And as annoying as this might be, I wrote Postpartum Depression for Dummies. I was asked to write this one as well yeah. a of years ago. <laughs> um, Beyond the Blues was the first one I wrote. Okay. And, and uh, I invited a co-author co to come in too, who's more on the medical end. Uh, uh, she had that. Uh, so Dr. Peck Indman uh, uh, co-wrote that book with me. Beyond the Blues was written because... At that time, and again, there are five, we're going on the sixth edition. Uh, it's extremely popular. Clinics wow. buy in bulk just to hand out. They know it saves them a lot of time. You know? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. the OBs are like overwhelmed already. So if the, if the, if their patients have the book, often it just saves them. Yeah, I speak in a very practical way. I don't speak theory. I give, I give, here's how you recover. Step number one, step number two. Beyond the Blues is very practical. And I, I self-published, or we self-published at the beginning. It's now in the hands and has been for years uh, with a publisher. We sold the rights. And by the way, it's been translated into four languages now. Wow. Uh, Mandarin, Japanese, Spanish, uh, and one is being worked on actually Arabic and, and, and Hebrew. Wow. Um, uh, uh, I, uh, uh, there were there was a publisher who wanted to publish the book, but they said, Shoshana, I wasn't Dr. Shosh yet, mm -hmm. uh, Shoshana, uh, you have to make it bigger. It's got to be bigger. It literally has to be heavier. You know, make more of a... And I went, no, I want a book that can be thrown into a diaper bag. Let's see, I'll show that. Oh, this is the... Uh, this is a Spanish edition. I just grabbed whatever was on my desk. You see, it's small. Yeah, it's quite so a small book. Something, yeah, nothing existed on the topic back then. And I said, you know, uh, I want something very, very simple in little sections. How to do this. What? And, and there's a chapter in there for spouses, partners, mm -hmm. what to say and what not to say. I'll outline, do this, do not do this. Say this, do not say this, you know, and for family members, for practitioners. So it, it's a very hands-on usable book. So is the Dummies book, uh, very much so. It's uh, in most of the, the postpartum depression for dummies is in most uh, uh, practitioners, the specialists, they have it in their, in their um professional library it's used as a resource uh, all the time so yeah you can find them all on drshosh.com they're they're there brilliant yeah. fantastic um another thing as well from all the books that you've published i know it's one of the books you um and i think it might be the, your most recent book that you published was one that was called children of depressed parents and i think that's yes. fascinating and I would love for me and you to do a podcast on that, which is a separate sure. topic, because I think there's a lot of people who are raised by depressed people. Yes. And what what inspired asked, you to write that? I was asked to write it. Uh, actually, I never went. I, I Honestly, I'm so grateful. I, I never 
needed to go to a publisher, they came to me and asked me to write their books for them. Mm. Um, so I never went through that, you know, literary agent and somebody going after it. I got to skip all that. And I said, sure, there, were, there wasn't yet a book called Children of the Depressed. There was Children of Bipolar. There was Children of this, Children of Narcissistic mm. Parents, Children of... The, there wasn't one in the most common ailment out there. It's depression. Right? Exactly. So I wrote it. The, the, the purpose, well, there are a few purposes of the book, but one of them uh, was to help end intergenerational depression. Right? Parents who are depressed are often, they don't want to pass their depression down to their kid. I teach them how to avoid it, not only to help heal, and I give uh, uh, suggestions about what to do and exercises and all of that. Mm -hmm. But but again, children who have been raised, the book was written for children who are raised by at least one depressed parent and how to heal. Not just people who are depressed currently who now have children. And have, but, so there were a number of different, uh, uh, I had a number of different objectives okay. when, I, when I wrote that book. And it's not specifically for perinatal. It's depression in general. Wow. Okay. Nice. Okay. Um, I know we've been talking about treatment for women with postnatal and postpartum depression. Um, but what are some of the prevention? Cause as they say, prevention is better than cure. What can women do when they've decided that they're going to have a baby to prevent themselves from going into postpartum? Right. And just know, uh, I want your listeners to know that anything that can happen postpartum can happen, uh, during pregnancy. So we're concentrating on postpartum, but we say perinatal because it covers pregnancy to about a year postpartum. Uh, perinatal is what we're talking about. So when, when to answer your question, when a pregnant woman calls me, which happens quite a bit, mm -hmm. I'd say a good, a good, at least a third of my clients are pregnant. Um, they, they might say to me, I had a postpartum depression the first time around. I want to avoid this. Can you help me? And yeah, the answer is yes. I can't promise them that they won't have any uh, a depression following delivery, but we can minimize it to, to and sometimes completely avoid it. Mm -hmm. But at least they'd have a plan of action. I give them a strategy about how to guard their sleep, which uh, the nighttime sleep. Yes, even if they're breastfeeding, there's a way to do this uh, uh, so that it protects their brain chemistry, their serotonin. Right. Uh, we talk about lining up the right kinds of emotional support and what kinds of physical support mm. they might need. We talk about no matter what's going on with body, even if they're on bed rest, right, during pregnancy, there are ways to oxygenate your brain uh, and do breathing exercises, very specific kinds of things to watch for the brain chemistry, not just good for the body mm. and for the baby, but good for the right. And their um, nutrition is huge. Cute. And again, if they're already depressed and they want to heal during pregnancy, so they're not launched into another depression postnatally with a with an infant. Of course. I help them. Uh, uh, again, I'm not a nutritionist. I don't I don't profess to be an MD and certainly don't give medical advice. But I talk to them about nutrition, at least very basic how to eat, what combinations of foods can help uh, protect their mental health, uh, uh, you know, how much water they want to, you know, basic stuff. So not overwhelming. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, so those are some of the basics in, uh, in prevention. And, and I know you are definitely on the same page. We're all about preventing. We're all about possible, prevention. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point yeah. of working in this industry is how you can exactly. prevent it for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you, so what's next for you? Is there any area, I mean, you've been in this industry for 37 years. Is there any area of expertise you felt you deep, you haven't deeply explored yet? Hmm. I probably will be starting my own podcast and I'll be inviting you onto mine too, if that's okay. With oh, a hundred percent. Listen, I'm definitely happy. Definitely thinking about that. Yeah. yeah I, I'm getting into more of the training of doulas and midwives. Um, I'm finding, and uh, uh, labor and delivery nurses are in there as well. Mm. But there's a specific need. Uh, I mean, they're so hands-on. They, they're like mini therapists, right? Mm -hmm. They can be really a lifeline with my population and I'm doing more and more trainings uh, for them 
Um, uh, there's another idea for a book, but it, it's very. I, I'm not ready to announce anything yet. Of course, I just, of I'm course. in the note, note taking stage. So, uh, yeah, training, continuing to train, uh, and um, possibly another book, and definitely a podcast. That's what's that's wow. what feels like next for me. Sounds good. I'm excited. I'm happy to jump on your podcast because, as I said, um, I've, I've worked in healthcare for a few years now, and even before I'm working where I'm working now, I used to work with people with mental health issues and substance abuse disorders. So I managed a rehabilitation service. So we used to do two years rehabilitation and mental health support, and that was absolutely fascinating in terms of yes. working with those people to overcome their addictions. I bet, and the comorbidity, by the way, in my field. And with substance abuse, yes. it's huge. Yes. And that's where a lot of the suicides come. They're overdosing, mm -hmm. uh, trying to self-medicate. But that's that's a whole other talk. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, with all the work that you've done and with all the work that you're currently doing, what do you hope to achieve? With the work that I'm doing? Honestly, it boils down to what I started with uh, back in 1987. If I, can, if I can prevent another family from suffering the way we did, it's all worth it. Uh, uh, I get incredible satisfaction out of helping new families launch in a, in a happy way mm -hmm. and turning things around uh, for them. I hope I'm answering your question, but honestly, that's what came right to mind. That is never changed. So there are various ways to do that by training other professionals, by working directly with uh, the public, those already suffering, those who want to prevent suffering. But that's, that's always been the ultimate goal. Wow, fantastic. Dr. Shosh, I want to say thank you so much for coming onto my podcast. And if my audience wanted to find you and find find your books and find out just more about your work and join your group, um, to get mm -hmm. some support, where's the best place for them to find you? It is the website, uh, com, Dr. Shosh. And I would really welcome hearing from your listeners uh, uh, very much. And, and I get back to people quickly. They'll be surprised. Test me. See how fast <laughs> I get back to you with any of your questions. I welcome it. Thank that, you so much. That's fantastic. And guys, if you didn't catch that, um, the details to her website would also be in the description box for the episode. Thank you for listening, guys. Thank you so much, Dr. Shosh. My pleasure. Thank you. At the end of this video, guys, I would really appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate the podcast, and also leave a review.